Thank you for joining us. This is Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MNBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to the people and the ministries of MMBC. We're here continuing our study, um, walking through the Baptist faith and message. Um, we started um, two weeks ago uh, talking about this series. We talked about the history of what it is. Um, we talked about last week about what does the Baptist faith and message do as far as like how does it function in the life of our local church, but in the in the context of our the the convention or denomination that we are part of, the Southern Baptist Convention, and this week we want to start walking through it piece by piece, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, syllable by syllable, um, really doing um, an exposition. No one got that. No one's everyone's really focused right now. But um, what like, syllable by syllable? Syllable by yeah. syllable. You know, we're gonna break it down syllable by syllable. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what a syllable is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the it's an instrument. <laughs> Close. It's a percussion instrument, right? Symbol. Yeah. Oh, that's a symbol. Okay. Um, I I still don't think I understand that. <laughs> okay. Never mind. I get it. You get it. Yeah, okay. Get Never it. mind. It's Never good. mind. Bad joke. Okay. So I got Tim Michaelangeli, Scott Slater, Dave Arnold. I'm Spencer Snow, and we are here walking through the Baptist faith and message. We're talking about what does the Baptist faith and message teach about the scriptures today? Because the first chapter um, that it opens up with is the scriptures, talking about what the Bible is and why it's important. So um, let me read this, and then we'll I'll read the chapter real quick, though it's not very long, mm-hmm. and then, then we can start talking about it. So it says this about the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. So that's a, a quick, that's that's what it tells us about what scripture is and, and its importance. And I guess right away, just a quick thing before we go into talking about what it says about scripture. Why do you think the Baptist faith and message, um, like there's other, con, there's other uh, confessions of, from the past that start off, the first thing they say is about scripture. Why talk about scripture as the very first thing at the beginning of what we're saying is our faith and our message? Why start with the Bible and not start with the next ch- chapter is God? Why not start with God instead of start with the Bible? And there's not a right or a wrong necessarily here, but why is it important to start with Scripture, do you think? Because the reason we know what we know about God is because of Scripture, and we believe the Scriptures to be true. And so that's why we start there, because if you erode, erode away that, then you're going to erode away the rest the right. rest of it from there. Mm-hmm. And so you need to have a foundation on your standard. Mm-hmm. What is what is our standard? Well, our, our standard is the scriptures, the Holy Bible, 66 books there. Uh, and so that's why I think this statement comes comes first, because from that then will flow, well, then what does scripture say about God? What does it say about Jesus Christ? What does it say about salvation, about 
on and on and on right. of the ones that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be my guess of why, why it's, yeah. am I right or wrong? No, I think that's what I think so too. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. I think the old, um, from the, from the 1600s, the Westminster confession of faith, um, which, uh, from the 1640s starts off with scripture, um, right away. And it's really highlighting to us the source of revelation. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we don't, we're not saying that nature doesn't teach us some things about God and, who he is. Uh, Actually, Romans chapter one does tell us that we do learn about God from nature and from this world. Um, But the source of revelation for us, how we know who God is and how we interpret all of this is based upon this book, um, the Bible, uh, Holy Scripture, Mm -hmm. the the sacred writings. I think last week, I think it was in last week's podcast or the week before, I talked about this book, The Baptist Faith and Message. It's like a study guide that Lifeway produces, mm-hmm. and in that, Spencer, they, they talk about God's revelation, but they mm. talk about two types of revelation, general revelation and special revelation. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think what Romans talks about is more general, mm-hmm. a general revelation, uh, where you see God in, you see his goodness to all of mankind through creation, right, and through these different things, you know, with water and sunlight and there's mountains and, I don't know, all the beauty of creation and, or just even being able to move and work and do these things is a, a special general revelation that there's God out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yet we still need the special revelation. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this study guide breaks this down. Yeah. What's the difference then between the general revelation and the special revelation? The way they write it is special revelations. God's making known his nature and purpose through the written word and his son, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is the special revelation. Mm-hmm. I think that's why in this first article on the scriptures, it says that it has salvation for its mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. The purpose of God's revelation of himself to us is so that mm-hmm. we might be reconciled to him mm-hmm. yeah. for our salvation. Yeah, because the Bible doesn't contain all knowledge. Right. Right. It Everything it says that it says, it is true, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about, but... Um, doesn't contain all yeah. knowledge isn't yeah. contained in the Bible. There is yeah. knowledge in the general revelation right. that's not contained in yeah. Scripture. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You can't fix your computer. Right, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. the Bible. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Yeah, or, stuff like that. Or fix your car, or do or any. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's not a. Uh, yeah, you're right. Romans chapter one says, "For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to him. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made." Mm-hmm. So you can see certain aspects of God's character, and it's very small um, compared to what we see in Jesus Christ through Scripture, but you can deduce certain things about there is a maker and he made these things and but you would never get an idea of grace from those things they don't reveal forgiveness of sins right or the cross yeah right that kind of stuff jesus the name jesus right god saves you would only get law you would get Mm -hmm. justice this is the way i generally maybe ought to function yeah so we're talking about scripture and, uh, and what it is. And, and it starts off with a summary kind of a statement, I would say, about what the scripture is. It says, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of himself to man. So, first of all, I want to ask this question. Who wrote the Bible, men or God? Is that a trick? I mean, it's kind of a trick question. It's yes. kind of a trick yes. question. Yes. You're setting us up. Yeah, I am. I think it's both and. Yes. 
yeah divinely inspired through the instrumentation of man right right yeah infinite and finite to get combined mm-hmm. together yeah yeah <laughs> and it wasn't like it wasn't like god put paul in a trance mm-hmm. and then paul woke up and was like oh my gosh i just wrote this book mm-hmm. right <laughs> right something like right. that either right using paul's wisdom and knowledge god used that mm-hmm. to pen his mm-hmm. book for us yeah and so we can fall on two uh sides to um you might want to pull your microphone just a little bit closer, Dave. Um, <clears throat> um, we might uh, fall on two sides of this, right? We can say God wrote this, but deny the human element. And my understanding is the Quran is, that's almost how the Muslims understand the Quran, right, Dave? Yeah, through it's, Muhammad. It's almost like it just dropped from heaven. Yeah, he was correct? in a trance in that sense. Woke up like and the book was of like, hey, I'm going to write this down. Yeah. Right, right. The angel said yes. And so, and there are some people that have... Um, an idea of the inspiration of the Bible. And they think basically the, the people were just like human typewriters mm-hmm. or, you know, scribe. They're just basically just word for word. God, just, you know, say this, say this. Um, on the other hand, we can say it's we might be tempted to say it was only a, a man-made document. Right. And um, we could be tempted to deny the divinity mm-hmm. um, in, in that. So we could, we could err on, on either side and, and actually, we want to, to hold those those two things together. Um, now, J.I. Packer has this to say. He says, Scripture has a double authorship, and man is only the secondary author, the primary author through whose initiative, prompting, and enlightenment, and under whose superintendence each human writer did his work, is God the Holy Spirit. So the primary author is God, but he used a secondary author, um, whether that be the Apostle Paul, that be... John, Matthew, whether it be Moses, whoever, he used those men to write scripture. So it's it's a both and question. Yeah. So in Second Peter chapter one, Peter and verse twenty one, Peter writes, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. So it's it's the men like who were writing it and speaking, right? Right. That's our understanding of how we get scripture, but they're carried along like mm. the, like God is working through his spirit in mm. those people to write what he's wanting them to write. Right. Yeah. Very good. I think this book is a little helpful on some terminology that maybe people would like about different theories. Um, there's the dictation theory, which we just kind of talked yeah. about of like God gave every single word and Paul was just dictating what God was saying and writing it down. What he heard, uh, that'd be a theory that is, is wrong believe but then also there's um let me see what they they call here the dynamic theory which is god gave the general idea to these men and then they worked it out in their own way and that's not a plausible one either right because then there could be human error uh, within that Mm -hmm. and uh this would be a theory though that i think a lot of people would say is that is the true theory that we see today those people who would say this part of scripture i don't think we really need to observe anymore it's outdated, mm-hmm. and we've gone past it. They probably, I, I would guess, they'd be more the dynamic theory type of, mm-hmm. of people, of saying, yeah, that's how Moses worked it out back then, uh, but we just need the general understanding mm. of this, and so we can't really hold that closely to that. Right. Um, so these still are important, I think, to know and to study because you still see them played out in churches, in books, and in writings all over mm-hmm. uh, of Scripture uh, itself. And and it said it said in here, um, 
Let me see if I can find it. I, I hate having quiet here, but uh, Basil Manley Jr. You guys know who that is? Mm-hmm. He's like one of the founders of Southern. Scott, you should know this. Mm-hmm. You're a Southern person. Yeah. You know who he is? Yeah. What do he look like? He had a mustache, I bet. He probably had a mustache, a beard. It sounds like He it. wore a suit. He wrote the abstract <laughs> of principles. Got a, got a cool <laughs> name, Basil. Yeah. Um, I've never heard him called Basil. Basil? Basil? Is it Basil? Basil or Basil? Basil? Oh, I, don't I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, whatever his name is. Um, I mean, who, it doesn't matter. His last name is Manly. Yeah, sweet. It's pretty cool. But he's junior. He's Manly Junior. Yeah, his dad no, was a, not good. His not dad was Manly. Manly. That his be dad, the worst no, no, you know what's ever. cool is his father was the president of the University of Alabama, I believe. Oh, okay. there you go. So, roll tide. All of a sudden, roll tide. SEC. Sorry. True manliness. Just ruin this. Sorry. When we're talking about sports, you like sports. Yeah, you like sports. I do, yeah. Okay. It says mainly seminary colleagues asked him to respond to dangerous theories that were infecting some churches, seminaries, and denominations. After reviewing the false theories of inspiration, mainly summarized an understanding of the full inspiration of the scriptures with these words. He said, the Bible as a whole is the word of God, so that in every part of scripture, there is both infallible truth and divine authority. He said, this is the conclusion of the verbal plenary theory mm-hmm. of the Bible's inspiration. Put simply, this means that the Bible's inspiration is verbal, extending to the very words themselves, and plenary or full. Thus, we affirm that every word of the Bible is inspired and that every word is fully inspired. Mm-hmm. And so within our Southern Baptist culture, I mean, that's and that's where you get what you read, that, right. first, that first paragraph. Right. What we stand. I just thought that was. Yeah, no, I think so. I think. Good history there. What does it say? The, the idea they were carried along. I think I've heard it. Isn't it the idea of almost like a bobber, like bobbing along? Mm-hmm. Like how um, if you watch a bobber in the water, the stream carries it where it wants it to go. And similarly, um, the holy men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, God, so God, who who is, so for instance, um, whenever, uh, you know, whenever something is quoted in the New Testament, they will equally say, Scripture says, David says, the Holy Spirit says. Mm-hmm. And they might apply that. They give the same authority to what Scripture, when Scripture speaks, God is speaking, but also the human writer is speaking. Mm-hmm. So all three are true. Um, the Bible, God, and man are all speaking because it's God speaking through men in written form mm-hmm. uh, to us. So that means not simply the ideas are inspired, but the very words in their order mm-hmm. are inspired as well. The very words that were that were chosen by God um, are inspired. And God uses the, the human writers and their personalities. You look yeah. at David. I mean, David obviously had a lot of ups and downs, <laughs> rightly Correct. so, you know, pursued by Saul and so forth, but seemed pretty passionate, very mm-hmm. emotional. The writer of Chronicles, and yeah. most scholars believe Ezra and Nehemiah, loved chronological order, mm-hmm. loved names, and mm-hmm. loved charts, or, you know, if you will, like uh, systematic, uh, as far as like thinking about that. So mm-hmm. I, it's neat how God used the human <clears throat> authors and their personalities. It's, that's why the dictation theory kind of falls falls flat because it's you know it doesn't acknowledge the variety exactly the colorfulness if you will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and i've heard it said right if god wants someone to write the book of romans he makes a paul mm-hmm. to write the book of romans um yeah so that's what we're talking about when these men were divinely inspired now um 
the idea of it being inspired, sometimes we think about that, right? And you've probably heard this, right? People think of uh, something that these guys were inspired as if somebody who saw um, a beautiful scene as a painter and decide, was inspired and decided to paint that as if it was a, an inspiring scene or a book inspired them to do this or whatever. But that's not what we mean by inspiration, do we? We mean that it was God breathed uh, through them. Uh, J.I. Packer again says this, the thought about divine, about inspiration here is the thought is not of God as breathing through scripture or of scripture as breathing out God, but of God as having breathed out scripture. Mm. Paul's words mean, and he's talking about 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 there. Paul's words mean not that scripture is inspiring, true though this is, but that scripture is a divine product and must be approached and estimated as such. So what we have in the sacred writings of the 66 books of the, of the Bible is the product, a divine product that bears all of the marks of divinity uh, uh, upon it. Um, similarly, as the way the prophet spoke in the Old Testament, when Jeremiah spoke, he would say, thus says the Lord. But you could also say, Jeremiah told us this. Um, right. And so both were true, but God was speaking through his instrument, uh, through Jeremiah. Additionally, he says this about biblical inspiration. J.I. Packer does. He says, biblical inspiration should be defined in the same theological terms as prophetic inspiration, namely as the whole process manifold, no doubt in its psychological forms as prophetic inspiration was whereby this is the whole process whereby God moved those men whom he had chosen and prepared to write exactly what he wanted written for the communication of saving knowledge to his people and through them to the world. Biblical inspiration is thus verbal by its very nature, for it is of God-given words that the God-breathed scriptures consist. So God chose these men, prepared them, and then used them to give us the product that we have in, in scripture. Um, so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about divine inspiration. It's breathed out from God through these men put on paper for us to read today um, as the very word, uh, very word of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so scripture is divinely inspired through men, but it's God re- God's revelation of himself to us. So God is speaking uh, to us. Um, Sinclair Ferguson has a book on scripture, and it's called uh, From the Mouth of God. So the Bible itself is the mouth of God, whereby he speaks to us. So if you want to know what God's saying to you, just open up the Bible um, and read it. And that's his mouth to us. That's where we know who he is and what he is um, saying to us. Yeah, and we don't want to downplay the difficulty of reading and studying the Bible. You know, like the statement you just said, I, I agree with you and I think it's true, but... You know, if you're in the middle of trying to make a hard decision, we don't mean, all right, just flip through, find Peter or something, read it, and you're going to be like, okay, this is what I should do. Mm No, I mean, it it takes a lot of work and effort Mm -hmm. and study and understanding Scripture as a whole from Genesis to Revelation and where all these things fit and and fall into place and matter. And it takes, I think we would all agree, like a lifetime of reading and studying and and understanding it more and more and more. But, uh, But, yeah. I mean, I think what Sinclair Ferguson is meaning by that, you know, is this is what God has given us to know him more. Mm-hmm. And so we want to be in it so that we can know his know His will. You know, like Romans 12, 1 and 2 says about our, 
our minds being transformed. Renew that day in and day out, mm-hmm. getting your mind set on what God's word teaches and says. Uh, and that's then when we're able to make those wise decisions in life or, or live according to scripture. Now, we're not just talking about the laws and like the rules, which have their place, sure. yeah. but also what is scripture teaching us the kind of person to be and the attitudes mm-hmm. to have and the actions sure. and feelings and emotions and all this kind of yeah. stuff. Uh, it really then takes over your whole, your whole being. But the only way you can know that is by reading his word, how yeah. God has chosen to yeah. let us know him. And that, yeah, and that, and that goes back to just remembering the purpose of the scriptures is to make you wise unto salvation. Mm-hmm. Salvation is the focus there. And going to scripture simply to know, well, what decisions should I make here? What should I do there? Right. The, you're probably not going to find much by mm-hmm. way of application. But what scripture does do, I mean, it does say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Mm. What you find in the scriptures you find the will of God because you you find God. Mm. Like you, we don't worship the Bible, but like we, it's where you learn who God is. Mm. You get to know mm. the God of this universe, and the more you know Him and His character and His attributes, the clearer the decision you should make is because you get to learn this is what God would want, right? And that's how you can help mm-hmm. make those decisions. I think it's to know God. Didn't J.I. Packer write that? Knowing God, mm-hmm. yeah, knowing God. he wrote that yeah. book, right? Yeah. Knowing God, yeah. Yeah, and I think for Luther, that was what was so radical is what he understood as he started as he had this experience and this conversion that God revealed Himself because He spoke, mm-hmm. and that's why he started to preach and write the way he did because you know the authority was God's word, not the Catholic Church, not mm-hmm. the Mass, you know, which what they you know was which he was taught and brought up under, and that changed everything. Correct. That is the hearing of the word and understanding the word that helps us to know mm-hmm. God, just like you said, Pastor Scott, you know, and then we can conform our lives to it rather than, well, here's what the Catholic Church prescribes and here's the mass and here's what you do. X, mm-hmm. so. Yeah. And, and much of what we're saying here is what we would, it's not actually, um, I don't think it's actually talked about in the, um, the chapter here on scripture, but we would talk about the perspicuity of scripture that in its basic message, it's actually clear Mm -hmm. to where everybody can get the basic message of salvation um, uh, by reading or going to church, um, using the ordinary means, reading your Bible, prayer, and then going to church, you can understand the basic message of the Bible. And there are going to be deeper things or more difficult things um, that are that are not as clear, but the basic things are 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 clear um, in in the Bible. The Bible is an amazingly clear book, mm-hmm. actually. Um, but Scripture, because it is inspired by God, is therefore infallible and inerrant. It is perfect. So Scripture is is perfect in all of its ways, um, because God Himself can't make mistakes. Right? He cannot lie. So if the Bible is a product a divine product it comes from god it the product has to be infallible because god himself um cannot lie so he cannot write lies or give errors um in using these men to to give us um uh, scripture matthew barrett Uh, says this. He says, the doctrine of the authority and inerrancy of Scripture is that as a corollary of the inspiration of Scripture, the God-breathed Scriptures are wholly true in all things that they assert in their original autographs and therefore function with the authority of God's own words. 
So when we say that scripture is infallible and inerrant, we're saying that it has no errors in what it talks about. Mm-hmm. There, there is, it is infallible. Um, so there's no, there is no errors in the text of scripture. Now I notice what is mentioned here, and this is when um, uh, Matthew Barrett says this, and, I'm, and we know that this is the the same idea that that would have been embraced by the guys who wrote the this uh, the first chapter here about the scriptures is that he says this these things are wholly true and all the things that they assert in the original autographs. What does he mean? What's an autograph, and what are the original autographs when we're talking about this in relationship to the Bible? It was the original text, mm-hmm. like when Paul actually wrote the letter to the Corinthians. That was the autograph right. that he wrote. Everything else that we have today is a copy of the original autograph. Mm-hmm. Correct. And it was in the original language of Koine Greek. Sure. Without the punctuations and the chapter mm-hmm. marks that we all right. have. It was all just flowed together as mm-hmm. like a letter without any spacing. <laughs> right. It would have looked much different than it yeah, does in our different. Bibles. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So why is that important to point out? Well, because, you know, um, it can be as simple as this. You might go buy a Bible, and all of a sudden you see they spelled the word wrong. And you're like, well, the Bible's not accurate. It's like, no, that was an editing error or right. a printing error, mm-hmm. right? And so there's going to be, be those uh, types of things which are, which are important. But then also there are some today who hold uh, to some beliefs of, like, their version of the Bible is actually the true inspired word that they have in their hands. You know, you'll hear that from like, like a King James version only mm-hmm. uh, crowd to where I've heard them argue before. Cause I've heard them get pushback. Like you mean the original autographs are the inspired word? No, I mean this one, the 1611. Yeah. The yeah. 16, yeah. I actually mean this one here. And so you have to differentiate there uh, from that, which we would say, no, the original autographs Correct. do uh, because, because it's a, it's a language of the past, mm-hmm. right? The original, and so you have men and women, I guess, who are very smart, who try very hard to write these for us in English, right? And they use old sources, old translations, the originals. They work together as a team and a unit. Most Bibles you can see in the front, it'll tell you how it was interpreted or who did mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that and when it was. You can study that. And they really do their best to interpret it correctly according to the original but the fact is there's some words in in greek that maybe just don't match up perfect it's not like word for word mm-hmm. you know oh that says dog we write dog now in english that that's cat and this now we can write cat it doesn't work that way language doesn't work that way so let's be very careful but even within those differences that we find in translations oftentimes i can't remember the stat i've seen but like 97% is almost identical mm-hmm. and the t- the things that differ usually are so minor it doesn't change the meaning it doesn't change what it's actually trying to get across mm-hmm. it's something very minor and insignificant honestly yeah. uh, in the end uh, so and those are th- those are a lot so like the one aspect of this would be translation yeah issues also because to be clear we don't no one has the original letter that paul wrote to the corinthians right we 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 don't have that correct? i asked yeah i asked my old testament professor in college like, because we were talking about this. And I asked, I was like, well, how would we even know if this is the original? Like, would it have, like, something in the footnote or something? Right. And he said, we wouldn't. Hmm. He said, we probably, there wouldn't really be much to distinguish it, hmm. probably. Hmm. So, like, yeah. we wouldn't even know if we found right. the autograph. I think one of the things that um, 
at least for me, you know, learning a little bit. And one of the things that I've, I've learned about this field particularly is um, it's a vast field. <laughs> <laughs> the whole translation yeah. and textual Absolutely. tradition, it's, it really requires expertise that I don't have. But one of the things I think is, is, is helpful for people to, to realize and maybe, is that we, there wasn't like a, like the, the New Testament wasn't like bound together. And it's not like we have like a, a first century edition of the whole New Testament put together. What we often have are manuscripts of, oh, there's one chapter from John's gospel. Mm -hmm. And then, or maybe we have a, a large segment of John's gospel or a segment here, segments here. We have a bunch of manuscripts of pieces of evidence with all of these texts put together. Now, eventually they did put them together. Um, um, and it and it seems like perhaps early on there was a circulation of like Paul's epistles or the gospels were circulating together as a collection. Um, but the point is, is it's not like it wasn't as easy as just binding together a New Testament and copying it into English for us. Um, all of there's all these thousands of manuscripts mm -hmm. out there. The amazing thing is, is that whenever you look at all of them, there are variances, differences, but some oftentimes, right? The variances are like one, one manuscript will say, Jesus did this. The next manuscript will say he did this. Mm -hmm. It's obviously talking about Jesus. It was just the switching of a pronoun and a name. So no doctrine actually was changed. It was just a copyist who was maybe missed up, missed up on one of those things. Right. And so I think those kinds of things are what we're talking about is the, the, the inerrancy and the infallibility is in the original autographs. Admittedly, we do have copies and we do have translations. And oftentimes if you have a good Bible, it'll have footnotes down there that'll tell you, or like the brackets at the tail end of Matthew of Mark 16 yeah. or of John eight. Mm -hmm. Some people may regard that as a weakness. I personally regard it as a great sign of transparency on our part. Yeah. Because I don't know that, for instance, uh, Muslims don't have the same kind of textual criticism. I think there may be something starting there, but like mm -hmm. they don't do what we do, which is very honest mm -hmm. about, hey, there's some discrepancies in this verse. We're not for sure what it means because um, I, I think that's actually we have and we have a, a very rich textual tradition, tons of manuscripts that really highlight the the amazing uh, uniformity of the message. Yeah. No doctrine has changed. Yeah. And the number of them available yes. to us. Like if, uh, I forgot, Josh McDowell might be his name. Mm, yeah. I went to a seminar that he taught once where he yeah. was talking about this. And it's like the next highest number of copies that we have of an ancient text is like Homer's Odyssey yeah. or something. Right. Iliad. And yeah, the Iliad. Mm -hmm. And it just blows it out of the mm -hmm. water. Like yeah. the yeah. number of yeah, copies. Something like. This is what I said I wanted to print. Yeah. It's something like we have like 15,000 yeah. copies yeah. and then his is like 60. Yeah. yeah. And, the, <laughs> and the gap. And nobody and ever gap. questions whether or not we have yep. the, like whether or not we can trust right. the Iliad and yeah. what we have there. Right. But I think that what I was going to say is, I mean, some to some people listening to this, maybe this sounds kind of nerdy or like way above their head or something. I, I find this information about scripture and biblical interpretation and its history and its practice very helpful yeah. for talking to unbelievers, especially critical people mm. of scripture. Right. Because mm. most of the time what I find out is they're simply ignorant yeah. about the, the history of biblical interpretation. They think that the English Bible we have today was a translation of a translation of a translation mm -hmm. of a translation. It's like nothing could be further from the truth. Correct. Our translations today are more accurate than ever because as history goes on, you find more and more ancient manuscripts right. 
to clarify those things. Right. And um, so, yeah, I mean, Christians, I think, should try to educate themselves on and I, this. And that's a good point, yeah. too, because you may find yourself, they like you said, Scott, they might say, well, look, there's no inerrancy because see all the translations differ and you're going to say, hang on here. That's not what the point of inerrancy. I'm not, I'm not trying to defend that. You know what I mean? Like, so you actually find yourself trying to defend something that actually isn't even what you're claiming to believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's so important whenever you're talking to unbelievers or for yourself to reassure your faith. I think Mm -hmm. yeah, Um, facts are, are helpful. I think the Qumran discovery, the Qumran caves in the sixties were, was huge for biblical, Inherency. You You're know, talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls. Dead sea Scrolls yeah. yeah weren't they like a thousand years older yeah, than anything else we exactly. had before? And because when they compared them to the ones that they were using, yeah, there was right. virtually no it change. The old, and that was the Old Testament scriptures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. Like yeah. Isaiah. Um, that was a big yeah. Isaiah. The Psalms were in there. Yeah. So that was right. a huge discovery. And of course, affirmed affirmed what we know is true from scripture. That yeah. this right. is God's. I mean, but, think about that. A thousand years. Yeah. And virtually no change. Yeah. Right, right. That goes, that flies in the it, face of what people will normally say of like, right. it has to change over and that how, right. how right. good is God, you know, those Essene, those, they were ascetic people who had preserved those scrolls in those clay pots in these, you know, these hill, this hill area, the mountain area uh, by the Dead Sea. And, uh, it, you know, God preserved that right. in his sovereignty, you know, and then a Bedouin shepherd through a rock. Oh, that that sounds different. Yeah. <laughs> and there he goes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the, the evidence uh, continues. And so, yeah, so we're talking about the, so whenever we're talking about infallibility and inerrancy, this strictly speaking applies to the original manuscripts that Paul, John, Matthew, all those guys originally wrote. The copy tradition, the preservation of that word though, has amazingly been continued by God's faithfulness, um, like we said, there are variances in Scripture, but they don't between the translations and the textual, uh, all the various texts and manuscripts we have. But amazingly, no doctrine has changed. Not one single doctrine is mm-hmm. um, whenever you look at the objective evidence that, that we have. Here's one question, though, however. Are some portions of Scripture more inerrant or infallible than others? So, for instance, I'm going to say this. Let me give you one example. Some people will say, well, the Bible is inerrant whenever it talks about things related to salvation. But when it comes to science, whenever it talks about science, it doesn't really get the facts right. So those parts are not inerrant, but just the parts that it talks about for salvation. What would you say about if someone was to bring that up to you? Would you agree with them or how would you how would you respond to them? Scott, you said you use this when you're witnessing. Which, by <laughs> yeah. the way, he would be the one to lead someone to the Lord with a bar graph. Because <laughs> <laughs> no he's Scott doing that. Yeah. You know what, man? Look, Look at this pie this. chart. I just made a pie chart here. Yeah. The guy's eyes are open hey, to the God truth. God can use foolishness. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> he can. He can. Oh, my goodness. I, w- I would say that it is all inspired and inerrant. Um, and depending on what you're, I mean, depending on the topic at hand, the conversation might go different areas, but I would just remind that person of the purpose of scripture, you know, like God's, the God's word is not trying to give us scientific explanations all the times, uh, all all the time of certain things that we would be talking about, like the function of the human body or things like that. Mm -hmm. It might be using it as more of an illustration or something. Um, so just remembering the purpose for which we have scripture, it's not meant to be a scientific manual to explain all those things mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, uh, I mean, like, sometimes what people would bring up, I guess, in that would be, like, the age of the earth and creation or the flood or stuff like that. And they would say the Bible's not inerrant on that because those are not uh, good scientific explanations mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. Like, that might come up. That might that I think that was some of what was going on in the 20s when the, uh, the convention mm-hmm. wrote the first Baptist faith and message, yeah. uh, there was questions about evolution yeah. that were going on. Mm-hmm. And so that would be something that was called into question. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, all of scripture is God breathed. Yeah. That text yeah. says, right? All. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, uh, more recently, I guess what I've heard is like the things that Jesus said, carry more weight, the red letter. Yeah. Carry more yeah. weight than what maybe Moses had wrote or what, uh, uh, Paul and Peter wrote hmm. or something like that and so you have to give special emphasis to the things that jesus said or that jesus hmm. did and that would push back from what we're saying it's like no no all of it's a, the right genesis exodus leviticus all as important mm-hmm. as matthew mark luke john yeah. um but i i see that a lot more hmm. today i feel like than i do it seems like the evolution debate i mean i know st- still it goes on but it's not as hot as it was in the 20s, um, I hear more, it seems like Christians speaking now of saying the red letter things or, or you know, the Gospels carry more weight mm. than, than uh, the other books even of the New Testament. Mm. Um, and even, even today we see some high-profile pastors uh, getting rid of the Old Testament, mm. so to speak, because it just depicts an evil god hmm. you know a me a mean god hmm. uh, which flies in the face of a of a savior who would die for everybody you know and they're yep. it's almost to them like a contradiction and so they're picking and choosing which parts of the bible are inerrant which is a big problem well and it and, yeah, and it's problem. also not a it's not a new problem no 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 right no, because yeah, i mean that's no. one of the things right marcion yeah the, yeah the 100s was saying the same exact thing and so I think that's the ironic thing is when people kind of bring those things up and they think they're being novel <laughs> right. and new. Actually, yeah. no, we dealt yeah. with this almost two thousand years ago. I mean, even and within our own country, like our forefathers had nice cut up Bibles. Yeah, <laughs> Thomas yeah. Jefferson, TJ. Yeah, yeah things TJ. that they liked and didn't like. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's just history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Right. So you can't selectively decide which parts are going to be inerrant and which parts. Yeah. And now I we, think our argument for that would be like, let's say you're teaching mathematics and you're like, I really like addition and subtraction. The whole division thing. Right. I, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, and you're like, let's just get rid of yeah. that. Right. And, and it's like, and fractions. Right. Uh, now, now, now we can have conversations about, for instance, that story that we all love in John eight about um, the woman, right? With the stones. There's questions about whether or not, that's actually, you know, people debate, right? Whether or not, is this actually part of the original text or not? We can have debates about whether or not that is scripture, but if it is scripture, it has to be inerrant and infallible, but we can have debates about like that or the ending of Mark 16, right? We're like, oh, some, some manuscripts have this, some don't. So we can have a discussion about whether or not that is scripture that we're reading, but if it is scripture, you can't pick and choose whether or not that scripture is inerrant or not. Yeah. Because it is scripture, it is inerrant because it comes from an infallible divine God. Yeah, I think when you're wanting to try to differentiate between what scripture says over here and, and dif- I mean, dif- differentiate to when it's talking about something scientific and say it's not inerrant, it's not inerrant in that, mm. you get into really hairy territory because, I mean, the resurrection is not scientific. Yeah. 
Like that goes against yeah. every piece of science that we've ever had. And right. what you're going to end up doing is explaining away everything that's there. Right. Um, anything right. miraculous at all uh, is going to end up being a problem. Mm. And if you can, if you can explain away the resurrection like that, you lose something pretty significant about our faith. That's right. You explain away the virgin birth. You explain mm. away all these other things. Um, that the Bible is quite comfortable with. Exactly. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Where's mm-hmm. Christianity at? It's gone. It's gone. Then. Mm-hmm. Were you going to say something? You're you're kind of meditating. It looks like. No, I was just speaking to what you. You're said. kind of staring off at the into space there, kind of like a. You had said if you had a good Bible, you'd have footnotes and stuff like that. And I just and you keep referencing Mark 16. I don't know if everybody knows what you're talking about, so I was just okay. Good point. It. Uh, the earliest manuscripts have Mark 16 ending at verse eight. Uh, but the, but it does go on like in my, in my Bible I have verses nine through twenty but it's bracketed and in between verse eight and nine in a in a bracket it says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter sixteen verses nine through twenty and then in the footnotes it talks more about that and it, there's right. even variances amongst the ones who do have yeah. it and it mentions it does mention some of that but then it does go on to list verse nine through twenty sure. and you can you can read it there. But it just it just lets you know that, yeah, right, yeah, um, and that's what you meant by like a, a good Correct. Bible will will hopefully reference those mm-hmm. things at least and point it out so that you can see that and and know that and be right. and be aware of that that right. that is that that is. They're there. trying to be transparent with you. Yeah, uh, I think there's another one where it says uh, something like this: "What cannot be done by prayer and fasting." Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I'd have to look yeah. look it up, but it says like and mm-hmm. the and fasting part could be an add on yeah. uh, mm-hmm. down the line because mm-hmm. some of the early manuscripts don't add that. It just says sure. by prayer or like or, the, the end of the Lord's prayer. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. The 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 doxology. The bit, it's mm-hmm. biblical, but the question is, was it actually in the original mm-hmm. text? Yeah. Um, that, that which part? Go ahead. Right, I mean, for yours is the kingdom, kingdom and the power and the yeah. glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right. That is an entirely biblical statement to make, and actually. There's something very similar we find in First Chronicles, I believe, mm-hmm. maybe 29 or something it's taken from. Uh, but there's questions about whether or not that, that actual part was actually found mm-hmm. in, in the original um, yeah. it was text. In a, it was in a Latin translation, so it's interesting that the, the uh, translators for King James, um, I think he had like 40 of them or so, they use a lot of the Latin texts mm. for their translations. Um, they they knew Greek and Hebrew, obviously, but they used they referred a lot to the Latin text. So it makes sense that's mm. in the authorized version. Yeah, that particular part of the prayer. So the authorized version. I love. Yeah, I'm proud of you oh. for calling it that. That's well. the old AV. <laughs> it's the only one that's authorized. Yeah. Yeah. So referencing what you said in Matthew, the Lord's Prayer, like like my Bible uh, here, an ESV Bible. Uh, it says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then it has a footnote. And then it goes on to verse 14, for if you forgive others. Well, you go down to the footnote, it says, or the evil one. Yeah. Some manuscripts add, for yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. Mm-hmm. So it at least says that, right? Because exactly. you might come across some. Uh, does the does the King James Version have that problem maybe added? Mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what yeah. I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So. So if you grew up always reading the King James, now you're like, wait a second, this doesn't have that. Well, at least you can go down and say, well, this is why. Mm -hmm. We didn't include it in this because some manuscripts don't have that, and we felt it didn't be in there, Mm -hmm. but at least they make note of it. The same thing is in Acts chapter 8, verse 37 Mm -hmm. is out. 
it just goes from 36 to yeah. 38. If you believe with... Yeah, it says, as they were... This is the story of the Ethiopian uh, and Philip. It says, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And it goes straight to verse 38. 38 and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water. Uh, Philip and the, Ethi- and the eunuch, and he baptized him. In verse 37 that was previously there it just has a note at the bottom that says some manuscripts add all or most of verse 37 which says and philip said if you believe with all your heart you may and he replied i believe that jesus christ is the son of god right mm-hmm. right and the reason is i was i'm teaching through acts right now with the youth and the reason that a lot of scholars think that verse 37 was later added is because that that was an early confession mm-hmm. that um communicants would make mm-hmm. as they were being baptized mm-hmm. and that they put that there to show right. you know, that this is probably what Philip would have done. Yeah. Right. If it's not recorded here, but that's, that's seems like it might be something that was from a tradition that was a little later. Yeah. That actually probably wasn't in the original text. of Acts. Right. Right. So in all of those areas, we're talking about the inerrancy, um, infallibility of scripture, and, and those, I think that's why those footnotes are, are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but now let's go on here real quick. It says the, the Baptist faith and message also affirms that scripture is true and it's trustworthy. So because scripture is inspired, infallible and inerrant, it is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. This is why we say you can't just start picking and choosing because right. then it loses the trustworthy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, who is determining what parts mm-hmm. are true and trustworthy. So when you, when you make this statement saying it's an error, all of it, everything infallible then it's all trustworthy all of it and so right. we can look to all of it for yes. for truth yeah yeah, yeah. So you important. can you can go to the bank um on it it's also supreme scripture is trustworthy but now it's supreme and it's um in, in authoritative actually the uh the baddest faith and message there says um it reveals uh, the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. So it is the rule, um, the, the standard by which we measure everything else that we believe or practice. So it's the supreme rule the supreme authority. Why is this important for us? I mean, we are Baptists, which means we are Protestants, which means we have a certain understanding of the role that this Bible should play in our lives. Why would this statement be important for us? And would other people, for instance, Roman Catholics or um, Eastern Orthodox um, Christians, would they have the same perspective on the Bible's authority um, as we would, or would it be different? I mean, I think it would be different. They would say the Bible is authoritative, but there's other correct authoritative uh, means. Right. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. the well-known one is the Pope, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. At times, the Pope can speak, and the level of speaking of the Pope when he's in that position at that time is equal to Scripture. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, is, would they say, is it uh, that the Pope's interpretation of Scripture no, is, his actual is, words. His actual, no, his actual would be words. infallible in Man, those. Mm-hmm. What a job! Well, well, <laughs> just right. at certain times, right. not like always. Right. You can't like catch him when he wakes up and uh, be like, ah, "You said it." Only at three in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they would three say, and there's, there's, yeah, there's like a twofold. There's the there's scripture and there's tradition. 
Mm-hmm. And those are the twofold authorities. Mm-hmm. The ironic thing is, is what actually in practice, if you read it and everything, what basically happens is it becomes sola instead of instead of the Bible alone, it becomes the church alone mm-hmm. yeah. because yeah. the church is the one that gets to determine yeah. what the Bible means yeah. for you. Yeah. And it's not the Bible getting to determine what the church should be. Um, I mean, you so, see it with yeah. uh, Mormons, right? They have Correct. Joseph Smith. Yeah. I kind of felt like that with the uh, Seventh-day Adventists. Right yeah. when we went yeah. through that yeah. together, because they had what was the lady's name? White. Uh, White? Yeah, Ellen White. Ellen yeah. White. They not had... Betty White. No, that's <laughs> not Betty White. No, um, this is the, the, yeah, yeah. And so, and it's not to get rid of all authority. You mm-hmm. don't want to say that either. There's still like authority in life. We see parental authority. Sure. Uh, we see pastoral authority. We see these different things. Not trying to get rid of all that, but just this elevation of it to what's the supreme? Yeah, what's the supreme? And and we would say supreme is the authority of scripture. You can't take any of it away. This is our standard. This is what we live by. This mm-hmm. is, you know, this is the yeah. truth. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, everyone ultimately will have a final authority that they govern their life by, mm-hmm. by which they interpret the world and uh, which they submit to. Um, we as Protestants, as Baptists, believe that scripture alone is the final authority doesn't mean we don't use commentaries that doesn't mean we don't look at church history it doesn't mean we don't uh, hold each other accountable as christians or pastors or whatever but it does mean at the end of the day the final say and the final court the supreme court so to speak is scripture itself and this is the great fight that all of us as Christians face. Paul would say, I've died to myself. I've rose to Christ. But yet we still find in our walk with the Lord, so often we say, I want to be the final authority here. Mm-hmm. And I make this decision, and it's a sinful decision, and we struggle. And it's that battle that we continue to fight as Christians day in and day out of mm-hmm. saying, no, Scripture needs to reign supreme. It needs to be the final authority in mm-hmm. my life. I need to follow it and live by it because of what Christ has done for me, and now Christ in me, and I want to glorify him in everything I say and everything I do. And and so uh, I don't. it's not just like a set decision you make, and it's like, hey, now this is it. Oh, wait, mm-hmm. We still struggle. We still struggle with it for sure. Yes. Um, but we need to constantly be trying to live according to that. That I, I've died to myself. I'm not. I'm not the ultimate authority. Correct. In my life, right? Christ is, and His right. Word is, and that's what I guess gets us to our last point there. Mm-hmm. That, that Scripture is all Christ focused. Mm-hmm. And uh, you still see these battles today. The Christ focused. Um, uh, we actually just were at a conference, and this was a big center of what we talked about. You know, one of the guys walked us through some Old Testament passages and saying, "This is how you preach an Old Testament package, passage with it focused on Christ, while remaining faithful to the Old Testament passage itself." Right, um, and so uh, we try to do our best with that, and hopefully, people uh, see that. But hopefully, in our own lives, we we do that as we read the Old Testament. We realize it's. It's pointing to Christ, and it's about Christ, and he's the focus of all of this. And he's revealed himself. We finally get to it, right, in, mm-hmm. in the Gospels. Here he is. And uh, we look forward to when he reveals himself to us again. Mm-hmm. Judge. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's very good. So, Scripture is perfect, trustworthy, supreme, and Christ-focused. So, that's And the... it makes it helpful, too. I know we're going long, and no, you're good. I'll have to leave probably in the next one, but... It takes a lot of weight, I feel like, off of us as Christians. If we're being faithful and sharing the gospel and sharing the truth of God's word, that's what we do. It's like, here's the word of God. What do you say? And it's not, here's Tim. 
Here's right. Spencer. Here's right. Scott. Here's Dave. It's it's not. This is my take. This is what I think. It's like this is what the Bible says. Here, ready. What right. do you say right. to it? And this also, I think, is a reason because of what we believe about Scripture. This is the reason. This is the why our church life looks the way it looks because we believe. This is why we preach. Mm-hmm. This is why we read the Bible in the service. This is why we pray in accordance with the scripture. This is why we sing scriptural songs because we believe the Bible is where we, we get our, it's the supreme standard. It is the mm-hmm. final say. We're Bible people. And if we were, if we were, if our hope was finally in the Pope and what he says, well, we would go to his church and we would submit ourselves to him and we would do all of his stuff. But we don't think that. We believe scripture alone is the final authority. And that's why we come to hear preaching and to listen to the word because we believe this book is where God speaks to us. And this is where he meets us. And uh, that's our hope. That's our hope. So, yeah, thanks so much for uh, listening to this. Uh, Next week, we'll talk about what the Baptist faith and message teaches about God. And so we hope you will uh, listen to that. Thanks for listening. Take care. God bless. 